Sonic State Roscoe. Right, well, hello, everybody, and welcome. Sonic Talk number 173, live and direct. Uh, you can listen to this live if you haven't before. Uh, maybe you could do it next week, because obviously if you're not listening to it now, this statement is pointless. SonicState.com forward slash live at 4pm at UK time, which uh, basically means that you can listen to the live stream. Uh, and I've checked it on the iPad, and you can hear it on the iPad, and um, you can join in the chat room which you can also, there's an IRC ch- uh, client for the chat room. I'm just going to turn the screen around, because in the studio I've got with me Mr. Dave Spears from G4Software.com, who's come in and actually brought the um, Imposca 2 control surface, the legendary thing, and it does look very nice. They've done a lovely job. Except for the fact that I've put a ding in it. Oh, dear. Can, you, right. can you see that, all right? Chris did it as well. So we're, shav- we're, we're sharing the screen here. Cool. We could cut the screen sharers. <clears throat> um, we may be getting a uh, guest appearance from Rich Hilton, who's currently in Tokyo, doing uh, two gigs a day at the Blue Note at, in Tokyo, which is kind of it's quite a hefty work schedule, I'd imagine. I saw this. They've got loads of people jamming and stuff with them, haven't they? Have they? Oh, they're bringing people in, are they? I saw a bit of the show. And, uh, Brand new heavies there at all? <laughs> well, th- I think they're doing loads of covers. Ah. And it was kind of Niall going, hey, come down here, jam. And I think the best jammer or something wins a guitar. Wins an iPad. by Niall. Ooh, no, more cool. That. It's a guitar. Well, that sounds pretty cool, actually. I did see a video. They'd done some quite good promo and all sorts of things on it, so it's quite um, pretty impressive. Mm. Obviously got their stuff together. But, I mean, they've been doing a, week, a week's residency there. They do it every year, don't they? Ah, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. I remember <laughs> Richard gone before. So at the moment, it's just me, the, and, um, and, and the chatties, uh, who I'd like to say hello to. Um, but we've got a couple of firsts, because I've also got an iPad, because uh, finally the volcanic, uh, volcanic ash subsided for long enough for my, uh, my friend and colleague Neil to bring in uh, an iPad, which he got for us in the US. And uh, so far I've been doing... Um, well, we got what we got here, this is the Electribe, isn't it? Yeah. That, that button there, the dra- where's the tube? Look, if you turn it up... Oh, look, they warm up. Like real valves. The valves go glowy and everything. Cool. Um, yeah, so that's a Korg iElectribe, which kind of started off all the frenzied uh, talk of um, the iPad. And uh, so far, I've tried a few things. Uh, we, we've had a review of the iSynth from uh, the incredible VJ Franz K, who has, bears more than a passing resemblance to a uh, cartoon character voiceover. He's got an amazing voice. See if you can guess who it is I'm talking about. Um, but thanks to him very much um, for t- doing it and turning it around fast. I'm going to be looking at... I've got the uh, VC7 Pro control surface software. If you want to have a look at that, Dave, look, I'll fire it up. You can cool. look, see what it looks like. It won't work because uh, obviously it's not connected to anything. Ooh. But there it is. Dave is now moving faders virtually, oh, fader, and nothing's happening because it's not connected. The one thing I have to say about the VC7 is that you need to run this other program on your system that r- receives the MIDI stuff over Wi-Fi, and it, there is a bit of latency. I have to say, it's not it's not the nippiest of things. And I, you know, the thought of thinking, hey, I could do the the whole mix here is perhaps not. But I can imagine you could imagine using something like this to control, like. Um, uh, EQ curves of a PA, you know, when you're walking around, because they do that yeah, stuff on PDAs yeah, yeah, and laptops yeah. and stuff, don't they? Yeah, very cool. Come on, mate, you'd be well up for this. So, yeah, that's kind of cool. Um, and what else have we got? Um, I've got a um, Elatron HD, which I haven't tried yet. That was the Mellotron type sounds, but we haven't fathomed out, because literally I downloaded it about two it's minutes. Quite- But um, one thing I was surprised, it does sound okay, doesn't it? I mean, there's no, you know, it's got some of the bottom end on the uh, on the bass drums of the iElectribe definitely are all there. Yeah. So I would say, you know, so far so good. But there will, we, I, I did a whole new credit sequence and everything for a sort of iPad apps review section. So hopefully we're going to get a whole load more of those coming up in the, the not-too-distant future. It will be. I can feel them all coding away furiously. Can you? Oh, I'll tell you what you can do. Look, we could do a little bit of live. Hello, one, two. Hello, one. There you go. Oh, cool. That's got a mic. Hello, one, two. It's got a mic building. That's terrible. You can tell. I've just got creative juices coming out of every pore. Can't you tell? That's going to be a hit, that is. Fantastic. With distortion. Yeah, we're. Um, and let's see, what else have we got? Uh, I suppose we could move, well, we could still, we could riff it a bit. So tell me a bit about the Impo- Imp2 uh, controller. What's it doing here? What's the kind of, what was the reasoning behind it coming? Obviously, we wanted to see it. It's great. Uh, I've been taking it around a few people who have used the Imposca mm-hmm. and just 
seeing how they interact with it and get some feedback. Did a great with great one with Underworld uh, last week, week before. I can't remember. It's all a bit of a blur. And today I came down to see the ever handsome John Fox. Uh, he is quite handsome. I saw him um, not not long ago at a gig. And he looked very um, distinguished. He's fantastic, and he's just like I could. Uh, I was in there for about an hour, and I looked at my watch, thinking it had been about three minutes because he, he's just he's just a really really interesting person mm. and very friendly. And, and yeah. so did he fire? I was going to plug it in when he left it to me, but then I thought it says two twenty volts, and I just thought, Dave, <laughs> I just thought the look on your face if I actually <laughs> blew it up as I was leaving John's studio, I dinged it against the wall, so it's now got a dent in it. And Chris gave me nothing but grief. And then he dinged it against the wall coming in here. Oh, look, I'm just going to go and grab it and put it on the chair next to me so that I can uh, fondle it. How's that for live It's radio? just quite interesting, you know. I've always had this thing, I've, I think I've said this before, you know, when we did the Fat Boy, that was the kind of first of the generic knobby controllers. But the, you still had to make this mental translation between the knob you were tweaking and the graphic on the screen. So with the Imp2, we kind of designed a... And, then, and this is a one-off, in fact... It's probably a one-off, and there may be a one more off, because we've enjoyed it so much, and loads of people have been going, can I have it? I'm doing my very best not to drop it. Chris has rushed over with some support for me. Did you make that dent in it? No, it wasn't me. (laughs) Very nice. Is that you? So... (laughs) I can't believe they're trying to blame this on me now. (laughs) Bloody wide boys. Yeah. Ooh, I don't know what that is. Sampler. Is that more sampling? So it looks lovely. It looks really, really lovely, actually. So, yeah, I mean, the idea was just, you know, so you don't have to make this mental translation between a position of the knob and a position of the knob on the screen. <coughs> and we've just been uh, taking it around a few people, getting some feedback, and just seeing how they get on with it. And everyone loves it. Really loves it. Like, to the point where they're twisting my arm behind my back as we leave, going, leave it here. Well, I mean, you've got to admit that when you sort of see this stuff and you just sort of think, uh, this is sort of what we've been missing all this time, isn't it? I mean, it's all very well having, you know, we as we've banged on about for ages. I mean, in, this, some, some, in some respects, this is what makes the iPad so interesting, isn't it? Yeah. There's, there's a tactile element. I mean, obviously, it's not tactile as in it's only two-dimensional and there's nothing sort of hard and firm to grab. No, but I think anyone who's used to that kind of linear motion with these knobs... Yeah, that's the thing I didn't quite... quite. Knobs can. don't really work very well on it. I think they should replace the... Uh, that needs to be replaced somehow. It needs to have a different sort of paradigm, really, on how to move parameters. Because obviously in the iPad... Uh, certainly we're looking at iPad Synth now, and uh, which is from Retronyms. And, you know, you, it's the same thing where you sort of click on it and you effectively you're moving your mouse up and down to kind of increase mm. the control. And it's sort of... It's not very satisfactory because you're using a lot of screen... And if you've got it's, knobs above it, it would sort of cock everything up. I mean, I like the idea that you can move more than one knob at a time. Yeah. But for now, for now, I do like the idea of actually grasping a real knob. <laughs> well, there's God, plenty on here. I've said that. What's the knob count on the uh, on the Impostor 2, then? I can't remember. How many? 106. 106, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, with, with switches. With switches. Uh, it's just... I mean, it, it's, it's a very... Uh, satisfying kind of looking thing. I mean, it's very big as well, I have to say. It's what? It's about the size of a 61-note keyboard, I would say. Expander. Oberheim Expander is just a little longer. But yeah, no keyboard, because obviously the Imp2 is polyphonic aftertouch, and polyphonic aftertouch keyboards are pretty hard to come by, so we thought, I'll tell you what, let's do it. Actually, a bit like the MS-20 Blackboard. That was the vibe. Oh, right, like the school thing. Yeah. I was just thinking, put it up on the wall. Um... Oh, they're asking, um, is the iPad, uh, are pressure apps pressure sensitive? We'd sort of jump in between iPad and real. They're not pressure sensitive, no, I don't no, think there is I'm any other thing. It. I mean, it's a glass front, I think if you press too hard, it, it would just break. Quite spooky, though. Yeah, there's some nice, there are some nice sounds in there. Anyway, sorry. But, but, I mean, this is just the one application, I mean, th- there's... It seems to me that we might be entering a kind of slightly new area of interface design because this is going to encourage people to create physical interfaces. And, and this is this goes, takes me back to something that I was saying last week about the iPad. If somebody made, a, 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 I guess, an interpreter, it would be called in old-fashioned um, programming terms, you could drop your AU into it or your VST and it would extract the interface and create it on screen 
that you could then use to control the, 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 the virtual version in your door. So, you know, forget the fact of trying to actually get it to be, you know, say that, I don't know, an Imposca 2 or whatever in the iPad, but have an Imposca 2 interface in the iPad or, or you know, whatever. Yeah. Within the iPad, so that you've actually got something that you can reach with more than one finger, you know, so it's not just a mouse thing. Do you think that's possible? Yep. Likely? Yep. I think we're going to see a massive influx of all sorts of things happening because of this. Look at me. I can't even stop playing with it. There's something. There is something quite nice and tactile, even though it's not physical knob, as it were. Yeah, it's just you know the graphics and the mod. I'm moving the mod wheel around and various other bits and pieces. It, it's good. <laughs> I do like it. I, I mean, think there is a latency, though, isn't there? It's not much, but it's well, that's there. got quite a lot of attack on it. I don't know. Maybe you try something which has a little less uh... marimba. Might do. It's not bad, is it? No, no, it's not bad. I want one. Already. <laughs> Damn. Well, I mean, this is purely for research. I've been taking it home to sort of, just sort of see how it works. And it's very good for content consumption because, uh, I mean, and actually this led me immediately to go and fix our MP4 sort of video playing thing so that it would work with the iPad. So now it does. Um, so now you can watch Sonic videos, you know, online through the website. But I've still got a bit more work to do there. But uh, it's... It's great for that sort of thing because you can imagine you can put it in the kitchen, sort of stand it up there, and you know. Because I used to, I listen to uh, various podcasts streaming live and what have you, like this one, and this one works on it as well. Yeah. So you can actually just sort of listen to content live with it, and the battery life is really good so far. I what mean, is that, that on there? They reckon it's about nine or ten hours, which is great. You know, which is absolutely fine. Because for- I'm not, I'm not a big Kindle fan. I have to say, I prefer, I do like a real book. I like the idea of being somewhere on holiday with something like this and going, there's a book that I've always fancied reading and then being able to log on and download it. And <coughs> Excuse me, I, I've got a cold coming really on. Are, yeah, no, I know, I've felt better, <laughs> to be honest. But, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I suppose there's also all that sort of content consumption thing is definitely very, uh, very important. I suppose this kind of links into our first subject, which is, I mean, we have got a topic list, but it seems there's only two of us and we've got two fabulous pieces of new hardware in the room sort of feels a bit pointless really but i will start off because um there's this thing called uh, nude and it's sort of it's going it goes along with um what we were talking about have you actually seen this have you seen any have you had a chance to check any of this out oh this like- is the uh, i looked at the picture because it looks like a sort of bottom poking out of a piece of cloth yeah that's right it's like a big um <laughs> Condom with holes in, and out of each of the holes is uh, a, somebody's back. I mean, back, not arse, as well. So, and this is the noise of okay. quite unpleasant isn't it sounding but that what that was it i think there must be some sort of resistive thing so the harder you press on somebody's back i mean up to a point obviously you don't want to kind of hurt them you get resistive pressure and it makes noises but it just got it got me thinking about the whole touch thing uh that was an installation that consists of a big white cylinder shape uh with human backs coming out of openings in the fabric as i'm reading from the well, notes not there. not in holland by any chance uh <laughs> i don't know if it is in holland uh well, near the ear or center in frankfurt yeah. is it Dr. <laughs> Dr. Yes. Miller. No, uh, it's, uh, it is Holland, uh, and it's called Get In Touch. It's a musical interface made by Matthias Munich, Ben Truel, and Charlotte Art from the Art Science Department of the Royal Academy of Art and Royal Conservatoire in The Hague. Oh, it was Holland? Yeah. Well, of course, isn't it? Okay. But it, again, you know, this sort of fits, it fit, it sort of fits in with what we're experiencing here in the room, which is, you know, the, the iPad touch interface and the fact that, you know, this, this uh, hardware interface that you've created here has generated so much excitement. I mean, just tell me a little bit more about the Imposca. I'm, I'm going all over the place here, but I'm slightly delirious, so you'll have to forgive me. Um, Imposca 2, is there any particular um, specification to the knobs or anything, or are they just, they're just, you know, 0 to 127 and that's kind of it, really? Uh, no, you can't change them. They are hardwired into the imp as it were. Right. So there's, there's, so there's a li- file in the Imposca that actually has the same controller numbers as this. Oh, so, so I just drop that in and then this hooks up with it exactly. Oh, so, so there's just like a little MIDI interf- um, analog-to-digital interface in here that turns... Uh, 
turns it into... There's a MIDI interface. Right, oh, I We've see. We've gone back to M1D1. Oh, right, so it's not even it's not USB or anything, it's nope. just a straight... Nope. Stereo. Stereo, stereo, stereo MIDI. MIDI, yeah. <coughs> Don't laugh, someone else... So, me I mean, I, I suppose what I'm getting at is, if there's not much in the way of... I mean, obviously, this is beautifully finished and beautifully crafted and what have you, but in terms... The technology behind it is actually quite basic, yep. right? Yep. So, in terms of manufacturer costs, for instance... Uh, it's the price of the knobs and the boards and the various electrical components, that's it, really. Right. Just just hypothetically yeah. speaking, I mean, would it be feasible to mass-produce something like this? Yeah. Yeah. You'd have to get... You'd, have, you'd probably have to get, you know, really good... You'd probably have to do a thousand, let's say. Right. To get the price point down to the right, to the right point and obviously use everything in China and all the rest of it. And we just wanted to kind of one-off... I mean... <laughs> It, it's a bit chalk and cheese looking at this, really, because well, yeah, the Imposca 2 is very, very dedicated, Where the, the controller is very dedicated, whereas the iPad can be whatever you want it to be. Well, I was thinking, you know, translate this interface into the, in, you know, the Imposca 2 control surface into iPod world, iPad land, and you've almost got one, two, three, four screens, haven't yep, you? Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, maybe a fifth screen that you could drag... You know, I want that one there, and I want the, so you could actually change it around how you want it. I mean, just that sort of yeah. thing could could be kind of quite an interesting concept. I don't know how it would work though, because obviously on the this iPad synth, there's only one row of um, knobs. So, and this is the problem that you've got, obviously, because you, you you touch the knob and you move your finger up, and it goes up, which would be over another knob. So, I'm not quite sure how. You know, the multi-touch thing on the iPad is great, but I don't know how you could. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. extract the most. You can actually extract the most out of it while while retaining. That's why I thought that question about the pressure sensitivity was interesting because actually, if you have a pressure sensitive knob, you could push it. I mean, that could be great polyphonically. I suppose, as somebody else said, is you know, the harder you press, the more of your finger touches the surface. Mm. So the the impression, so that so that it could increase the value based on how much of your finger or body part is covering mm. covering the interface. Mm. I mean, it's not it's never going to work in a circular motion, is it? No, I don't think it does. I mean, because you can't I don't know how what's I don't know what sort of level of granularity and and uh, there is on an iPad interface, you know, how how tight, you know, how how pinpoint a button is, you know, whether yeah. it can be really really small or or what. I mean, normally you find it's a square around yeah, because I presumably they're they're like um, a, a, an object library of something that you kind of change the size of or whatever. But it's very interesting we're even talking about this, isn't it? But uh, yeah, I, I must say this does look absolutely fantastic. And you know, you sort of go back to the Korg's original sort of digital collection with the MS Twenty controller. Um, they missed a trick with that. I thought that was brilliant. And in fact, when Chris and I were at Nam, I think it was we kind of went and pulled all over it and then immediately asked the question, so is this the dongle? And they kind of went, no, <coughs> what's, what's a dongle? We were like, dude, is this like the protection for the software? And they were like, no. So at the minute the software's out, no one cares about the controller really, unless, you know, you are somebody who's going to buy it. I'd love one, actually. I've been looking around. And they, they actually, even on eBay, go for reasonable money now. Really? Yeah, I've seen them go for like 250 quid. I thought they were only about that new, weren't they? Yeah. So but pretty. so I'm just wondering, you know, how many they had to build to make that cost effective and whether or not, you know, because what seems to be part, and this, is, this sort of ties into another topic that we got here, actually, which is uh, we, are, uh, we can sort of ramble about it a little bit, uh, which was how close do you have to be to be considered to be the right emulation? You know, because, I mean, effectively, if you're just talking about creating the interface, then you don't have to be that close to a degree because it's all, a lot of the time, it is more about the interface. In terms of performance, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, certain synths have got a particular, you know, operating architecture, which is one of the things I kind of love about the old analogue days, is that there was always a compromise, and people would kind of go, actually, there's no oscillator sync on this, or there is... I mean, at the time, it was quite infuriating. The way the Odyssey works, for example, you kind of go, uh, where's the waveform? Where do I switch waveforms? And it's not where you think it is. It's not in the oscillator section at all. So I love all of that, but I can see uh, that getting furious. It's interesting with uh, Imposca. When we released the first Imposca, a guy came up to us at NAM and really started berating us, going, why is it companies like yours just put a generic you know, GUI over the top of, of, of bog-standard code and it sounds nothing like the original and blah, 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 and kind of gave me a hard time. And after about 20 minutes, I went, well, look, put the headphones on, have a listen. And it was brilliant. Not only did he come away grinning 
going, holy shit, you nailed it. He was also the reviewer for Electronic Musician. So it worked <laughs> like a treat. So you do, if you are emulating something, you do have to be really, really close. And the GUI is not it. I think that's what most people thought when the whole VST thing started kicking off. Is no, it's not, yeah. Actually, it's just a GUI. You know, it's, a generic, it's a specific GUI over a generic code library. And that's no. not the case. Certainly not with us. Well, it's interesting. I mean, just because... Uh, well, I'll play a bit of this, because this is the comparison between the uh, the original 303. I'll play this quickly. So. That's the 303. That's the Zoxbox. And, you know, because obviously the... 303 and the Zoxbox, which is the X0X sort of open source hardware clone of the TB303, yep. um, is is pretty close. I well, mean, I obviously, to it. I was impressed, very impressed. I mean, he didn't, he didn't, ma- he matched. For some reason, he decided to match it with the knob position rather than by ear. Going right, that's the filter, and you know, but that's just the way it goes. And that was a chap called uh, Phono1337 who, uh, who who made the comparison and. Interestingly enough, the current 303, I looked on eBay, there's one on uh, Buy It Now for £1,300, yeah, which is what, about yeah. uh, $2,000? Yeah, yep. and if you want the Devilfish one. And, or if you want the XOX box, it's 449 So, I you know. The XOX box, please. I was impressed, actually. I thought it was good. And the people forget that even with the original things, there is, I mean, uh, here's a classic example. I've just walked away from John Fox, whose instrument was the Odyssey. And yet, no matter how many Odysseys he had, they never sounded identical because there was different scalings, there was all sorts of component breakdown stuff, all sorts of weird things that took place in you know, manufacturing runs over years. So nothing sounded identical. That was, in, a, in, a, in a big way, that was the beauty of analogue. So, for, I mean, well, that raises an interesting question. Which one do you choose to model? Do you find one that's most pleasing to the ear? Because, again, you know, that might be completely different to somebody else's taste. Or do you try and get it all in there? We had two Oscars that we modelled from. One was mine and one was Underworld's, actually. And we, when it came to the Mini Monster, we auditioned three, was it? Yeah, Chris is nodding across the room. And they were different oscillator boards and different years, obviously. And we chose the one that was actually that we thought would be the hardest to code. I'm really sorry uh, to the programmers, but we did because it was um, the scaling was the keyboard scaling was all over the place. You know, it was beautifully in tune at the bottom end. By the time we got up to the top, it was slightly sharp. And we just kind of thought, hmm, that's so unlike the Odyssey. But actually, that's, <laughs> that's the one that we'll go for. <coughs> because it was really meaty, and I wouldn't have really been able to have used that keyboard live, so the challenge was to create something as big and as round, but was at least tameable. The word. Yeah. Hmm. But that XOX box, I thought, was very close. I mean, if anything, it would have been... It didn't even strike me as the filter cutoff was a little bit brighter on the 303. It just struck me that the... Probably the parameter scaling was slightly different. Right. But very interesting. But they use the original components, don't they, as well? That's what I'd read on the XOX box. Yes, pretty much, I think. Yeah. I think they do. I don't know how they get hold of the original components. I mean, unless they were that kind of cheap <laughs> to begin with. Yeah. I suppose they were, though, weren't they? That yeah. was the whole thing. I mean, yeah. they were dirt cheap to begin with, weren't they? Dude, I mean, God, I, I really did sell mine at a car boot sale for nothing. Everybody's got one of those stories. Yes, exactly. And it's funny, because on that other subject, am I jumping the gun here on that other subject about, you know... Ah, yes. Let's leave that that as a tease, and I can uh, can now say thank you to our podcast sponsors at yamaha.co.uk, continuing to sponsor the show. We very much appreciate their support. It's uh, very welcome. And uh, incidentally, uh, while I put this in uh, in context, I've recently introduced a new um, specification for... um, Measuring how many podcast downloads we get a week or Ooh. a month or whatever, and it's uh, it's gone up by fifty percent since I've introduced it. Because Stats. well, before uh, uh, this is not part of the ad, but I may as well put it in because it sort of justifies it. But before, FeedBurner would serve all the iTunes feeds, and then the rest of it, which was played on the player and, and what have you, and then the news items came out of you know just came off the servers. Whereas I figured out how to use FeedBurner to, to count those as well. 
and it's gone up by 50%. So I think we're heading for a 35k, maybe 40,000 wow. downloads a month, which, wow. is, which is great, which will make Yamaha even happier. Excellent. I hope. Anyway, but uh, Yamaha, thank you very much for their continued sponsorship. Um, we really do appreciate it. And uh, they've got their own po- uh, podcast, which is called the Yamaha Download. Um, if you want to get hold of it, probably the best thing to do is go via sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha, because that will point you directly to a download page. They've just uh, announced a new podcast uh, where there's an interview with Toshi Kunamoto. If you haven't already le- heard, heard of him, he's the brains behind the Yamaha Spectral Component Modeling uh, deployed in the, the new CP1 stage piano and the other CP stages, uh, which um, he's also behind the Yamaha VL1 synth and VCM effects using the digital mixers, uh, which Yamaha are very uh, well known for. But um, also, they like to uh, encourage you to go and try out one of the Yamaha CP uh, pianos because they are uh, in stores now and you can't really beat a hands-on um, kind of experience with the one. Uh, obviously, you know, we can show you all the stuff via video and what have you, but the physicality of playing this thing and the playability with the with the keyboard action, you really should check them out and, and obviously tell them we sent them and buy one. We should all buy one. But anyway, um, please do check out the Yamaha CP1 and the Yamaha Download Podcast uh, by going to sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha. You can also check out the newsletter and yamahadownload.com, which has loads and loads of uh, additional articles and interviews and just sort of various software updates. Keeps you completely completely on top of all things Yamaha and other things besides. So once again, we thank them very much for their continued sponsorship of the show, sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha. We thank them very much indeed. Hey, I've just seen an RA Moog. I'm just looking in the chat room. My Moog was first though. I saw an RA Moog, Mini Moog for sale in the UK. So that's the very first generation. Buy now, price of £8,000. Jesus. <laughs> for a single voice. <laughs> We've got a few um, Bob Moog signed T-shirts. Wow. Like the very one you're wearing, actually. Uh, yeah, no, I thought I'd do a bit of branding. No, that's very kind of John you. John was saying, oh, well, who's this Sonic State? Well, he doesn't know. <laughs> oh, God, that's <laughs> disappointing. Like, I said, you come on the podcast. <laughs> oh, we should, yeah, he should. We'd love to have him on. I was, ju- I, I'd taken the back off of our mini uh, and I was going to take it to Nam to ask Bob to sign it. And for some reason, I'd left it at home. We were on the bus on the way to the airport, and I thought, ah, oh, damn, still, there'll be next year. Oh, and there was no next year. No, isn't that sad? Oh, well. Well, that's very apt, because um, it's 40th Mini Moog performance anniversary this year. 40 years since Mini Moog was first performed, uh, although not many people realise it. Uh, it wasn't exactly a watershed moment in music history, really. Um, previously, you know, obviously Moogs were sort of filled rooms and were giant systems, so this was the first time ever. Um, I'm just trying to think who it was. It doesn't say. Mother Mallard. <laughs> Mother Mallard, that's right. Well, ne- I did- on, what's the rest of that tile? Chris, because Chris has been reading Analog Days or Radio Days or whatever it's called, and he gave it to me last night, and I started reading it. It's a brilliant book, actually. Anyone who's into any of this analog nonsense, <coughs> you won't be able to put it down. Mother Manlard's what? Ah. But that was it. They I went and bought the albums straight they? away. They were the first ones. But, I mean, you know, we all know about the Mini Moog, but I was wondering about, um, you know, what other notable anniversaries that Music Gear should have. And as I was looking, I found that Elisis had quite a lot of the firsts. Wow. Because uh, I, I don't know if you remember, but that, that first mixer, the 1622, which was like a kind of, it was a surf, it was the first surface mount technology. Do you remember? It had no, it, where all the pots were mounted, all the switches, everything was mounted on the surfit, circuit board. And it had like a carbon front and weird faders. And that was the, and the that, they were the first people to do it. Wow. And then after that, lots of people started using surface mount stuff. So pre, what was the, what was the, it was a spirit, Soundcraft spirit. Yeah, pre before all that. that before wow, all that. wow. Because they made one of the first, uh, four, I think it had a two or a four bus, I think it was. Okay. So, a mixer. Uh, I couldn't, I think it was 1980, I don't remember exactly. Was it 84, the 1622? You've got to also remember oh. the Midiverb 1. Yeah. Remember that thing that yeah, 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 the box, yeah, yeah. it looked like it had a, um, it was made of a kit with a bit of vinyl stuck on it. And that was a 12... I've got one somewhere. Um, a 12-bit uh, multi-effects unit. That was the first affordable digital reverb. It really was, wasn't it? I remember... And it, but it was about 200 those. quid. Yeah. It's uh, three years to go until the uh, 30th anniversary of the DX7 and the Jupiter 6. Wow. Wow. DX7, uh, definitely. We should have our own public holidays for these things, shouldn't we? And ADATs. ADATs. Love or I hate them. Yeah. Next year, 30th anniversary. Wow, 30 years. <laughs> oh, God, that really ages me. We traded so. in a G16, I think, for an ADAT, and it was like, 
wait an hour for the tape to rewind. But it was great. No, it can't be 30 years. It must be 20. Uh, I can tell you, uh, it was about 91. 20 then. Yeah, yeah okay. it must be 20. <laughs> God, for that. I knew it was a multiple. <laughs> hey, guess who we've got on the line? I can't believe it. Has he come? He's, we've got Rich Hilton. He's just hey. dashed back from his uh, gig in Tokyo. Let me go. I propose a Mellotron anniversary. A Mellotron anniversary? Yeah. Other Mallards, portable, what, masterpiece? Some company. There you go. It's a great album. Mm. It's really trippy and it's quite Steve Reich and okay. but all done on Moogs. Konnichiwa. Konnichiwa. How you doing, Rich? I'm doing good. How's this go mic sounding? It sounds pretty good. It's good. It sounds it sounds like you are in a Japanese hotel room <laughs> because okay. you can hear the room and how you know how less than palatial it probably is. Uh, no, it's not. Okay. <laughs> is it a love hotel? Well, not in my room. It's not. <laughs> Hold on, you've just come from a, a triumphant gig at the the, the what's it called the um, the Tokyo the blue is it the blue lounge the blue room. Blue note. Blue well, note. Uh, tonight's gig was at Yokohama Motion Blue. So how are you fellows? We're fine. But I, I must introduce you properly. Rich Hilton, who normally joins us from Connecticut, has joining us, come hot foot back from a gig where he's playing live in Tokyo every day with the band Chic. He's just come off stage, just come back here to join us. I, I, I think that deserves yeah, yeah. a round of applause. Oh, I, hope, I, hope the, I hope the applause you're getting here is nothing compared to what you got after you came off stage. <laughs> You know, it sounded just like the end of the show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really? <laughs> mm. I do hope not. <laughs> Only with less uh, present. So how's it been going, Rich? It's going well. Apart from trying to chase, you know, sleep every day, it's going well. So are you just doing the shows, or have you got other stuff to do while you're there? Are you kind of doing promotion or any other bits and pieces while you're, while you're you know, between shows? No, they definitely don't call on me for any of that, but uh, Mr. Rogers is definitely been besieged with uh, various requests. Well, he's the man, I guess, over there, isn't he? Right. You you put Nile Rogers on the radio and people care. If you put Rich Hilton on the radio, nobody cares. So We care, that would be Rich. We care, Rich. That's why we're well, here. Can Thank I, you. I appreciate that. Can I have that guitar that Nile's doing that thing with, please? <laughs> you got to get over the, there and uh, do a performance. you got to come here and play Le Freak. Ah, oh, is that what it is? The best player yeah. of Le Freak gets the guitar. It's a guitar contest. That's superb. And, uh, we have people up on stage trying to play the freak. That's brilliant because it's not a guitar solo or anything. It's just a really precise rhythm guitar part. I like that. That's got a kind of slightly nice vibe to it, rather than yeah. You know. And we put up a, like an instructional video that we shot in Connecticut for people to learn how to do it. Uh huh. And uh, this year, the collection of guitarists has been much better on average than in past years. <laughs> are they all playing strats, or are they all got ESPs? Well, they're handed uh, a strat, which is the prize at the uh, end of the week okay. for the winner. Right. What great! And idea. there was one night when uh, we only had one contestant come up initially. He's calling for another and not getting much response. So, of course, I raised my hand, and he said, "Oh, okay, Rich, you come on over and play it then." And I did. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, we had a line of guys waiting to come up. Ah! Uh, did you win? I suppose you can't, can you? You can't, I can't win. win. Employee, yeah, it's probably in the small print somewhere, <laughs> isn't it? I've already got, you know, half the room cheering for me before I've played a note, so it doesn't make any sense for me to win. Well, I'm really glad you're having a good time. When are you back, anyway? Um, on Monday, we'll uh, fly back. So you're going to be there, that's, what's that, 10-day trip? Yeah, it's about a 10-day trip. We're, we've just passed midway in our performance schedule. We had... Uh, six shows and three nights in Tokyo. Then we had a day off. And then today was one show in Yokohama. And tomorrow is a day off. And then Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, back at the Blue Note Tokyo. Uh And Monday, back at Narita Airport. Ah, Narita. Oh, yes. Home of the most expensive sake on the planet. (laughs) That may well be. But let me tell you, last night, I went out to Ginza for some sushi and my friend Tatsuru ordered up, I don't know, four or five different kinds of incredible sake. It was really great. Cold or warm? Cold or- it was all cold. It's all, all cold. It was cold. They yeah, only warm up the case. cheap stuff, is that right? I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that, but uh, 
I typically like it cold. I don't mind it warm, but I typically like it cold, and um, they were all outstanding. One of them was Milky White. Wow. And he referred, he said this is an unfiltered uh, sake. I like it. It'd be ricey, yeah. Yeah, it was terrific. There's actually pictures on my uh, Facebook page of this event. Of you drinking Milky White substance? There is a picture <laughs> of me with a glass full of Milky White sake. Yeah. I'll tell you what we've got here, Rich, in the studio. We've got the Imposca 2 control surface and we have an iPad. So we've got wow. a bit of a first. So I've got the iPad going and Dave is now going to play something on the iPad, probably. Cool. Oh, God, there's a big delay on that. Yeah, there's a lot of delay on that. And, uh, yeah, so th- there's been quite... But we've been talking quite a lot about um, interfaces and, you know, this whole sort of... The fact that we're probably heading to a slightly different... A paradigm shift, perhaps, in, in the whole concept of touch. And I did have the opportunity to pick up an iPad. I was... The day before I left, uh, I realised I had the infamous laptop bulging battery. Oh, uh, yeah, you said you get it replaced. Yeah, so I went to the Apple store and had it replaced. And while I was there, I figured I'd play around with the iPad for a bit. And it was exactly what I thought it was. But did it have any apps on it that were worth playing with? It wasn't so much. No, not really. But but I did try out the on-screen keyboard and such, and it worked. You know, it's fine. As I as I believed, it's it's sort of a big iPad rather than a small laptop. That's how I view it. Yeah, there's kind there's kind of that. There's kind of that. It's it's interesting when you start using it in a mu- musical context. It definitely changes it your kind of thoughts a little bit about about it. But yeah, um, the, the subject that we're on at the moment though, which is because obviously this year is the 40th Minimoog Performance Anniversary Year, and we wonder yeah. whether there were other whether you had any other candidates perhaps that you'd like to see uh, celebrated, perhaps with a public holiday or you know uh, a toast, that kind well. of thing. Groundbreaking instrument releases would include the original Oberheim SEM, yeah, um, the Prophet Five, yes, true, DX Seven, D Fifty. Um, I know I've just skipped a whole bunch in that in that little. There were some instruments that really just grabbed the whole industry by storm. Just sort know, of changed so. everything, yeah. Uh, the Akai yeah. S900 I got in there as well, which was a big, big changer for yeah. a lot of people. Yeah, but then you could start, you could you include uh, in Sonic Mirage, yeah, Emulator 2, yeah, yeah or yeah. even Emulator 1, the original emulator. I think, I, mean, it's, I think it's interesting, the actual, depending on which continent you're from, it depends on which sampler had the most impact, I think, because yeah. it was down to distributorship then, really, wasn't it? I think the emulator stuff was definitely more American-based. And it was very expensive. And it was here, expensive right? here, yeah. Right, the, which is why the Mirage was significant, because it was the first really commercially widely available inexpensive <laughs> sampler. I remember driving miles and miles to um, the eastern side of England to buy a Mirage in a flight case, and I had to get back in time for a sound check at Moles. The, and I had to come out. I had to come out and do the sound for some crummy band. And all I wanted to be doing was home messing about in a hex with my eight-bit sampler or whatever it was, twelve-bit. I think that one was. I'm not sure if it was twelve. The EPS was a thirteen-bit sampler. <laughs> what do they do with that? Was thirteen-bit? 13 well, they basically weird. robbed three bits of a sixteen-bit word to do other things. So they actually had a, a sample word of thirteen bits. What was the mirage? Was that an eight? Was that twelve or an eight? I think it was twelve. Okay. Oh, no, hold on. No, it was very noisy. Yeah. Uh, it was very hard to tell because everything was hex, and it was two character hex. So, yeah. so all the stuff, the values were just sort of totally random. Pro, and there was you. You had to uh, download the or you bought on a disc. Something called Massos, which was the Mirage Advanced Sampling Oscillator System, which uh, every time you wanted to do an advanced like sample or do anything advanced with it, you had to put this disk in, and it would load the function into memory, and then you could kind of do something with it. It was pretty funny, actually. Fantastic. Maybe SH101 is worthy of this as well, and yeah. that would be probably, I guess. More than 30 years. We're coming up on probably 35 years on yeah, that Yeah, 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 I think you're right. Mellotron. Because it, it was available by 1977 when I was selling keyboards, for sure. The Krumar DS2. <laughs> now we get an explosion. <laughs> if I was going to... Ch- but then you've raised another thing, which is the original ARP slash Solina string machine and the Krumar orchestrator 
were both pretty significant products in a way. Yep. The Atari 1040ST. I'd like, like, yes. I'd like to hear a little smattering of applause for that. Thank Definitely. you. Shannon Nashville put that forward in the, uh, in the chat room. I don't know whether Ataris have really made it into the States, did they? I know I've told yeah. the story. I've told oh, the story yeah. before. No, no, no. Yeah, they did. When I went over to do a session with uh, in New York, and I, uh, they hired, they try and hire me in an Atari, and it was just almost impossible. impossible. I couldn't find one anywhere. Eventually, I did get one, but that was all SE thirties and stuff like that. Yeah, there were a lot of those. There's another topic that's coming up, which was tough programming interfaces, which I found this via Synthtopia. This is Dinsync.info, and this is he does a, a video on how to program the MC two hundred two. But the point is, it just highlighted how bloody difficult. It was to actually program that thing. And how on earth did we have the perseverance, you know, back in the day to bother doing, you know, learning all this kind of arcane operating system, you know, take the mirage, take all these things to, to achieve these things. Yeah. Sometimes you wonder kind of, is there something in our nature as human beings that kind of means that we're, um, we're, we're just prone to, to wasting loads of time on technology that doesn't work properly? All going <laughs> simultaneously going, ah, oh, the next thing. Once I get the next thing, it'll all be all right. Do you think there was ever a point when it became the promise, what was promised became actuality? Mm, Melodyne. You think Melodyne? Ah. I think perhaps sort of Logic 7 kind of period where you got time stretch in place and all that sort of stuff. You know, what, maybe Ableton Live with the warping, the warp markers. Mm. That's when it suddenly... And also, you could do it on a laptop. When you could do it on a laptop, because I remember having various Mac systems thinking, yeah, this will be the one that I could get all that. And it's like, oh, no, it can't quite handle it. <laughs> it just can't quite handle it, and it can't... And then finally, the only time it ever really did is when the Intel machines came out, really, that the computers were gave us enough power to be able to do all of this real-time stuff. Yeah, although now, of course, it's 32 to 64-bit. And no, all of a sudden, we're going... That. Logic's run out of memory and all of that kind of stuff. Will quit. And you're going, well, I'm only trying to run a copy of Trilogy or Trillion and Stylus and, so- and something else. Yeah. I don't know. It just always... I read, I read this really interesting thing yesterday in part... I can't even remember why I was reading it, but it was Steve Wozniak's um, website. And he's, he seems quite an interesting bloke and very cantankerous. But what he was saying is in the early days when we had things like STs and stuff like that, it was so limited in what we could do. We were the kings of those machines. And now what's happened is that those machines are starting to preach to us because they know more than we do. <laughs> and I thought that is a very, very, very interesting point. More powerful. Yeah. Mm. So, Rich, how are your fingers holding out? Are you kind of... Because uh, doing two shows a night, are you... Sometimes that's that's quite a that's quite a lot of work. I'd imagine. What's it? An hour and a half, two hours a show? What are you doing? Uh, the two show and night shows tend to be about seventy five minutes because uh, they have to shuffle a crowd in and out by a certain time for the two shows to complete. So we don't have too much latitude in terms of running late on a show like that. Uh huh. But as uh, regards your question, my hands are reacclimating to playing shows in general and they're holding out fine but i can feel them building right back up is that from a strength point of view you get all the sort of stress isn't right yeah it's just uh, i can feel the muscles you know it's like any other you know uh, physical activity that you used to do a lot and haven't done lately (laughs) you know i know quite a lot of those yeah there's loads of those (laughs) yeah so it's going well. I mean, I'm feeling confident, and everybody seems to be enjoying my contribution. And it seems that I'll be doing some more shows with them next month. Oh, great! That's great news. So yeah. How are you handling the kind of the setups? Because I'm mostly, presumably, if you're doing te- a teardown and a, and a, and a get up sort of day to day, are they uh, using? Uh, is it all analog, or are they kind of doing front of house digital stuff this time? You know, I. I bet it's digital, but I haven't. I haven't got a clue what's going on in front of house, because in both clubs, the front of house is hoisted up high on the back wall, and I've never been up there. Right. Okay. I can tell you, for example, that at Motion Blue, the uh, monitor board is a digital Yamaha board. Right. Um, and I was looking it over with the monitor guy, and it's a really nice board, but I don't, I don't even know the model number and. You know, it's kind of, I'm not really in audio guy mode right now. I'm in musician mode, so I'm not really even 
thinking too much You're about that. You're thinking more about the towels than you are about the uh, channel strips. The towels, the <laughs> bottles of water, and whether I'm hearing all the things I need to hear in order to do the job. Sure. Do you find you can switch that? Do you find you kind of, you're, when you're witnessing, I mean, I'm guessing you're probably working with some, you know, real pros, so you're not going to get any kind of cock-ups and stuff, but you're kind of, you're seeing a problem building and you're thinking that's going to go wrong or this is going to happen. You have to sort of try and not be the audio guy and stay, be, be, the, be the, uh, the musician. Or do, do you find that's not an issue? Has he gone? Oh, yeah, we've yeah. lost Rich. Oh, well, such a, such a cutting-edge question. Yeah. Did you know the MC202 was the worst-selling Roland synth in the 90s? Was it really? Yep. No, I didn't know that. Fact. That's very interesting. I don't know. Let's, let's see whether... <laughs> really? Maybe he's gone past the midnight and the uh, 24-hour internet access yeah. has just cut, <laughs> cut off. So the rolling 24-hour... <laughs> you pay for 24 hours <laughs> and it's gone. Cut off in your love. He's, he's got to put his uh, credit card back in to get another 12 hours, of, um, 24 hour access. I bet that's what happened. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me at all. <laughs> to be honest, I'm, I'm so chuffed that he's sort of made, made time for us because that's just brilliant. It's brilliant. great having somebody sort of popping in from halfway around the world. I know we've got some people. Ah, hey. here we go. We'll go get him back. Hey, Rich. <laughs> hey. We so, were just speculating that your internet access just. Um, just Re 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 clocked. So you you exactly was it exactly. <laughs> oh, I can't believe it. that was my sp- exactly, that exactly what happened. <laughs> oh, Damn. this is what we're Damn, you're good. Glamorous. <laughs> Damn, you're That's good. fantastic. <laughs> hey, so yeah. is it really really fast out there? Because uh, the internet, yeah, the internet. This hotel, hell no. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, not anywhere near really, really fast. It's it's connected with an Ethernet cable, and it's you know you'll get it down eventually, but it's not wicked fast. No, sounds, not I mean, it doesn't sound like you're kind of you know gurning too much in the audio processing. Right. It sounds fairly clean. I mean, it's not your usual high fidelity self, but it's pretty. It seems very un um, artifacty. I guess. Yeah, well, good. You know, it's my brand new go mic. Hey. <laughs> So Rich, I'm sitting what? here with I'm sitting here with the Yebisu all malt beer post gig and uh, trying not to smell too badly. <laughs> it's okay. I've got a really bad cold, Rich. I I can't tell. <laughs> I can't smell a thing. Sorry to hear that. I can't even Sorry. smell Dave. <laughs> wow. So um, what have you have you have you had any? Um, I must have one of those really nifty pieces of technology because I'm in Japan moments yet. No, I, I, my entire life since I arrived here has been about chasing sleep so that I'll be ready when I have to play those two shows. Right, okay. And uh, now I'm like, I don't know, four going on five days in. And with me, with this jet lag, which is a 13-hour time change, it's the third and fourth day that always kill me the worst. So yeah. I'm hoping that now I'll begin to turn – a page on that and start to actually be able to sleep at night more than two or three hours. Oh man. And, uh, every day, you know, because of that, every day I nap in the afternoon, which is nighttime at home. And then I have to drag my, then I drag myself right to the gig and play. Wow. So I've been out a little bit, but it's not really my purpose here. It's really just protecting my energy and making sure I've got it ready for the gig because they're high energy gigs. You got, you got to be ready. It's funny, actually, because, uh, I mean, I only have been to Japan once, and I didn't get a chance to go out, but it used to be, you know, I guess it's not so so big deal this so much with the internet, what have you, but, you know, Japan, if you got to go to Japan, it would just be like a treasure trove of sort of all this kind of weird and wonderful technology and old, fa- you know, old synth stuff that you could just pick up for next to nothing. I guess it's not the same anymore. Oh, is, it expensive? is the cost of living expensive out there at the moment? I mean, I guess you might not know that, but does it seem expensive? I, I don't really know what the state of... How it works out there at the moment? Well, my experience with major cities of the world is that they're all very expensive. <laughs> yeah. I don't really know because I'm staying in a hotel at somebody else's expense, um, expensed on my breakfast. I rarely have to actually dig into my pockets unless I do things kind of extracurricular. Yeah. Like tonight, I'm kind of hungry. I may actually order up some food. So, uh, it's probably really expensive, <laughs> but you know, know, if you let it be. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. also probably not so expensive if you want to eat in noodle shops and uh, 
buy your uh, Yebby Sues at the local uh, convenience store, which is what I did. Huh. Shannon Nashville says uh, maybe you should pick up a Seiko Spring Drive watch just to get really retro. <laughs> ah. There's one last topic which I've got here, which I don't know whether or not anybody's prepared for, but uh, it's just called Sounds of Synthesis. And um, obviously, you know, what with all of this stuff that uh, th- that's sound sources, I wonder what was the last thing that you heard that you just thought, wow, that's an awesome synthesizer sound. That really kind of... Uh, Imposter 2 sounds great. Um, you know, those little... I, I'm impressed with those little Korg synthesizers that they're selling now. Oh, the little I mean, micro X. I was, actually, I was talking to Howard, yeah. uh, Howard um, at uh, Mesa, and he was saying the micro Korg XL is really deep. And it's got some brilliant synthesis. I know, I, when I reviewed it, there's you know the, once you get into the editor, there's a hell of a lot you can do in there. I mean, really quite amazing sort of cross modulation and all sorts of morphing business and what have you. He has his twin synthesizers, doesn't he? Which are two of those? Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I just think they sound. They, I mean, in what little I've heard, they really just sound huge. And I mean, maybe it's because the actual physical thing is so small, and that the contrast is so startling, but. They sound big to me, and there've been some rolling products. Uh-huh. I suppose I was th- maybe I was thinking in terms of um, on a record, you know, uh, in, within a musical context rather than sort of a hands-on synthesizer thing. So you know, like because uh, one thing I was playing a few Basement Jacks tracks before the before the show, and "Where's Your Head At" is has got a, just a brilliant bass sound in it that just sounds like a kind of it sounds like a combination of a guitar and a cello through. a Overdrive, which in fact it may be, but I know they're big synth nuts, so I, I don't know what it is that they might have used for that. But t- what you tend to find now is when you go, God, that's an amazing bass sound. What's that? Everybody just goes, Yes, no instruments, massive. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. it, basically. Patch number 15. Yeah. It's that drum and bass one that everyone uses. <laughs> you donut. <laughs> I don't know. Well, when it comes to records, I don't, I, I know this is going to sound really odd, but I don't listen to a lot of them and I don't buy a lot of them. The one I just got was the new John McLaughlin and Fourth Dimension album, which on which Gary Husband plays solos on an SH-201, which sounds great. But it's not something that makes, you know, makes me stop dead in my tracks and go, holy crap, what is that? It's not, you know, like that kind of great. It just sounds good, and he plays it great. Ah. So I'm not really that deep into music where the sound of the synths is featured in such a way as to stop me in my tracks, you know? I, yeah, I just yeah, don't okay. have an answer for that. There's a good one from Shannon Nashville. Um, I'm not sure if this was serious or not. Toto 4, Rosanna. <laughs> what is that? What? Did that that's have a, great. No, that's not Rosanna. That's um, Africa. Africa. God dear, did I just say it? I'm going to edit that out for sure. GS2, <laughs> if my memory serves me correctly. No, there's yeah. a fabulous uh, Simpolo in Rosanna. That's for character. Ah, okay. Um, and there are some great sounds on those Toto albums, but I mean, that's what you know—that's thirty years ago. What about uh, you, Dave? Have you got? Have you got anything? You can't. I, I can't. Obviously, because I've been in patch programming mode, and there have been some sounds where I've been going, "Oh!" <laughs> and I leave it. I can leave it on hold for an hour and go and come back and do a little bit of tweaking until I've got it to the point where it's almost, you know. Mm, mode. <laughs> I do get very kind of excitable about things like that. Right. So well, yes. Perhaps that's not the best question to ask someone who's no, just no, no, programming no, no. patches for a particular. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, fair enough. I must admit, I did have problems when I was uh, thinking about this. I couldn't think of anything that sort of past nineteen ninety. <laughs> but although Basement Jacks was. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I love the way. And the, uh, stuff I up. the other thing, that, um, hide and seek, that um, image in heap. What, the vocoder? Yeah, that's just, that's really... See, my wife really... I know, does she doesn't <laughs> like that, but that does it for me. But I think that's partly due to the melodic content. Well, not reference to any specific records. I can say, in general, I've heard things come out of the Roland V-Synth that really impressed me. And I have a vocoder that I'm using in software now by a company in France called ELS that I'm very, very pleased with. Okay. And so... Apart from Imposter 2, those would be two that come to mind right away, and the Korg thing that I mentioned earlier. The V-Synth, yeah, that always gets a lot of props, doesn't it, actually? Yeah. Well, I know Mark's a big fan of that. Yeah, sounds good. Big fan. Actually, on the Imogen Heap subject, maybe that's 90s. No, 2000s. 
that Frau Frau album, there's, there's a bass line that kicks in at the end of one track, and that's a real sublime sound. Oh, there's that's full that's of great sounds. Yeah. That's, uh, is that, um, there's uh, Psycho Babble. Oh, uh, there's just, uh, that Frou Frou album is one of my favourites. I think we've actually, um, I didn't think we'd make it, but we have made it past all, all of the subjects, and we sort of busked a bit on the beginning, because uh, as I say, Dave and Chris have brought the Imposca 2 hardware controller in, which is a thing of great beauty, Rich. And Hi, Chris. Chris is in the, in the back of the room. He can't he's hear us. He's doing some work on a laptop. He's, he's catching Rich up on says hello. But, there you go. That was a, a, hey, a, a quiet high. But what, that, that was one question that sort of seemed to um, bring up this whole concept of, you know, maybe people should make some more hardware controllers. We're missing. Well, it seems that we live in an age right now where that's some of the most interesting product stuff that's coming out with the various Ableton controllers, for example. And just in general, there's a lot of hardware control interfaces for software behavior that are coming about now. Yeah, it's very express. I mean, a lot of it's, you know, it's some of it's, because I've got the uh, Novation Launchpad and the Zero SL Mark II in for review. And I, I must say that the Zero SL Mark II is fine and everything, but it, in some ways, because it's such a standardized interface, it's actually less flexible than the Launchpad. The Launchpad is really good. And it can do some amazing things. And you can assign all sorts of stuff with it and control almost every aspect of live more, more simply with it than you can with the Zero SL, which is weird when you think about it because Zero SL has got an LCD readout. It's got you know, rotary encoders. It's got all the words. But because they are of that form and that layout, they're sort of less flexible. It's really it's a strange kind of way of describing it. So that's what excites me at the moment, the fact that we're heading to... We're head, people are pushing the boundaries a little bit, and I think hopefully the iPad will help people mm-hmm. figure out how to come up with other paradigms and ways to control things in a visceral way that we've sort of been missing so much from a lot of uh, our music-making processes. Well, I think the proliferation of the Ableton software in in usage has contributed to this quite frankly because yeah. from the ground up they built it to be easily controlled by external sources it was an important design consideration based on what i see in the design and uh and they initially started with just some cheap you know sort of m audio uh drum pad things with a few rotary controllers but now the controllers are getting more and more involved and more and more specific and so, yeah, well, the more specific you get, the more it kind of encourages you to work in a certain way. And in some ways, the less specific you get, the more you have to actually tweak it to make it work for yourself. But it does open up a whole other range of possibilities. It is, but then, you know, you've got the control, um, say, with something like um, the launch pad, which is really good for moving around and the mix and the clip firing stuff. But when you get uh, – and then Zero SL, which is okay for the mixing and that sort of thing. But then when you get to controlling the, the actual instrument and the devices in there, it, it doesn't quite have the same traction, say, as you know, something like a dedicated control surface or maybe an iPad that could adapt more that was tied into it would adapt with the interface. So I think we're, we're, we're still – we're sort of on the cusp of something quite big, I reckon feels that way yeah. and I, I'm, kind of, I'm excited and, and at this point you know, I should plug the, the fact that we're, we're doing we've got a whole series of iPod, iPad reviews apps coming up uh, we've got a new little section and did a new credit sequence yesterday to, to put on the uh, iPad retronym synth review that we did so uh, keep watching this space because we, we're, we're going to stay on top of it and I'm really looking forward to doing some more of these things Mm-hmm. Right, well, I think we're sort of, uh, I, I guess it must be getting time for bed for you. Where, what time is it where you are? It must be like one o'clock in the morning? Ten past one a.m., yeah. Wow. But I'm not tired. I mean, you know, I just got back from a gig. I'm a little hungry. I'm on my first beer. <laughs> <laughs> ah, beer, yes. As I said, it's just ch- it's chasing sleep, and I have a day off tomorrow. Ah, right. I'm going to be uh, kindly escorted around by a good friend here in Japan and shown some interesting Japanese uh, sites and some nice lunch and stuff tomorrow. So basically, as long as I get, you know, four or five hours sleep between now and 11 hours from now, I'll be fine. Fantastic. Well, Rich, thank you very much for joining us. I mean, I, I'm just sort of so grateful that you kind of made the effort to come, come to us all the way from Tokyo. And, uh, oh, I'm thrilled. And it's it's been great. It's really it's sort of exciting. 
So thank you very much. That's Rich Hilton, live from Tokyo. Like Deep Purple, but only with Sheik. <laughs> so, Rich, yeah, thank you very much. I'm looking forward to seeing some pictures and stuff. Uh, I've been following you on uh, on Twitter and Facebook and kind of seeing what you're up to. So, yeah, brilliant. Thank you very much. Cool. And, of course, you. and, of course, in the studio, uh, Dave Spears, thanks for bringing in the Imposca 2 controller. It's a very beautiful thing, and I hope you've enjoyed being able to see the... Uh, iPad. Yeah, 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 yeah. In person. Uh, now I have to go home and say, you know that iPad that I was kind of saying I didn't really I'll tell want. You what, you could imagine it being quite. <laughs> I won't tell you what. <laughs> it's but, but it's uh, yeah, it's a it's a lovely thing. Anyway, g4software.com. Thank you very much for coming in, and uh, it's been a pleasure. And uh, hopefully, my cold will have gone last by by next week, and I won't be coughing into the mic quite so often. Thank so, you. Uh, and thanks everybody in the chat room. Uh, much appreciated. And also thanks to our sponsor, Yamaha.co.uk. If you want to see what they're up to, um, just go to sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha, and there's links to send you out into the uh, immersive world of Yamaha and their podcast. So we thank them very much for their sponsorship. That was Sonic Talk number 173. It's a wrap. <laughs>